It's Thursday, April 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Seth Jason. Good to see you. Back from the graveyard. Back from the graveyard. And I look like it. <laughs> That's the beauty of doing an audio podcast. Uh, although I will warn our dozens of listeners, uh, I went to, and, and this is something you'll be familiar with given what your father does for a living, I went to the dentist this morning. Mm. The Novocaine is almost completely worn off, but if at some point I slur a little bit. I'd rather see the drooling. Now <laughs> no. I wish we had video, even, <laughs> though, even though people would see my hair. There is, there is no drooling. The drooling is under control. Um, let's talk first and foremost about the market right now as, as earnings season kicks off and seemingly every week or so we're hitting new all-time highs. You are someone, you work on Motley Fool Hidden Gems. You're one of the advisors there. You Have, have we been hitting all-time highs? Because I look at the small caps at Hidden Gems and they're just well, all over the place. Well, you, you, you lead right into my first question, which is you know the small cap investing that you do not so great over the last 15 months or so, yeah, the, in the, general. Yeah, the, the small cap index has bounced around. It's certainly not forging ahead sort of with this ratchet action that the S&P 500 and the Dow seem to be, which is sort of, you know, three steps forward, one step back. Small caps have been bouncing around a little bit more. But that's not unusual. We'll probably talk about some specifics. Um, and there's, there's a few parts of the economy uh, where there's considerable uncertainty, oil and gas, for one uh, big example. And the smaller companies in those spaces, I mean, the bigger companies, we're not immune, but the smaller companies really get thrown around. When the price of oil drops like a rock, I mean, small oil companies you know, were, were bottoming out, and then all the small uh, oil services companies uh, were also getting pounded by this. So, um, you know, the stocks I look at, it doesn't look like one of those... 12 months of, of steady growth situations. In fact, uh, until maybe last week, uh, a lot of the stocks that I follow in particular that I've recommended were, were just getting pounded, and I just just had to quit looking. Because, <laughs> because you, can't, you can't respond to those daily moves, and if you look at them all the time, you only increase the odds that you will do something stupid because you know psychologically none of us are immune from the effects that, uh, that those price movements have. And it doesn't matter how much you know about how stupid that can make you, you'll do the stupid things anyway. <laughs> how much does... So, when, when you're looking at small caps and companies with a market cap of $500 million to about $2 billion or so, how do you define a small cap? Hidden I mean, Gems you... were kind of in that range. I will bring in a 3 or $4 billion company from time to time if, if I feel like it's you know, got if it's if I feel like I can grow to a forty billion dollar company, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a small cap. And of course, if we bring in a one or a two or a three billion dollar company and then it quadruples for us or something, we're not gonna toss it out but just because it's gotten too big. Something like Under Armour or others or Chipotle that we brought in when they were much smaller and, and now nobody would really call them small caps. How much does the possibility of a company being acquired by a larger company, how much, does, how much does that factor into your investing in general? And does it increase in times like these? You mentioned the oil and gas industry. We just had the you know this massive acquisition Royal Dutch Shell made the other day. You have to believe that in that industry in particular, we're going to see a lot more acquisitions because the smaller companies are 
there's a greater likelihood that they're going to get taken out. Yeah, a lot of them are in pain. They had bad balance sheets or iffy balance sheets, which are, which could be bad at this point or in the near future. I don't really look at that because uh, trying to predict that is pretty tough. Um, you can kind of take advantage of those situations by keeping your eye on fundamentals. In other words, if there's a company that's unduly beaten down and is a good company, you may buy it anyway and at the same time that a larger company would conceivably be looking at it for some of the same reasons, except that if they buy it, they might even get a better deal because they can they can get rid of some you know extra overhead and get the synergies, finger quotes, uh, that come with that. But in, even, even within small caps, um, you can uh, keep hold of some of the better, larger small caps in a space. I'll, I'll talk, for instance, about uh, U.S. Silica, which is a, a provider of fracking sand as well as industrial sand shingles and stuff like that but the fracking sand was was the thing that was growing for them for a long time and they're one of the larger companies in this space and they really are really good at the logistics and some of the uh, the nuts and bolts that make this uh really important to oil and gas companies and when the oil prices dropped, everyone just threw all of these companies aside on the stock market, you know, assume, oh, there's going to be these huge drops in demand. Well, there are some pretty big drops in demand because you've got a major drop in rig counts. On the other hand, wells that are already being dug or the better wells, the way they're getting more out of these wells, gas and oil, we're talking about North Dakota, these unconventional places, is by cranking more sand down in there, blowing them up, making these cracks, propping them open with sand. It takes a lot of sand to do that, and that's how you get all the oil and or natural gas out of these. Well, that market doesn't completely go away. Some of the weaker players, they may have some trouble. A company like US Silica, which is a bit bigger, can conceivably consolidate, take its pick of the better of the assets and come out on the other side in better shape. You mentioned Under Armour and Chipotle stocks that had been recommended in your service years ago. Another stock that was recommended some time ago has been in the news very much recently, and that's lumber liquidators. Yeah, this is a very com- poorly reported by the mass media. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that because you wrote recently. This, uh, as I mentioned, this is a stock you had recommended, and I own a long time ago, and you own shares. Um, uh, your own words in your most recent report because you re-recommended it, given how mm-hmm. much it had been, been beaten down. You called it the scariest recommendation. <laughs> In recent memory, uh, for Hidden Gems members, well, yeah. why, why the re-recommendation? Well, because you've got, and I'm just going to call him a knucklehead, like Whitney <laughs> Tilson, w- running around telling people that Lumber Liquidators is selling, and I believe the quote he, he was saying was, highly toxic flooring, and this is just absolutely false. What happened with Lumber Liquidators is that a group of short sellers and some others tested a part of its product line, and this is a small part of its product line, it's in particular only the laminate flooring and only laminate flooring coming from China. And they tested it by the means of basically disassembling it and saying, aha, there's more formaldehyde here than there should be by uh, California regulations. And so you guys are poisoning people. 60 Minutes picked this up, and the company didn't respond in a very photogenic fashion. And the reality is, that there's formaldehyde in almost everything in your house. And you get higher levels of formaldehyde just from things like nail polish or even paint off-gassing or spray foams. There's formaldehyde in this desktop. It's in the particle board. The point is, does it get to you? Do you breathe it? Now, they don't even know how much formaldehyde you're, you, you know, is dangerous, but California has never let that stop them from, from 
creating levels that they say you shouldn't get more of. So the actual way you test products like this laminate flooring for uh, formaldehyde levels is different than that. You, you test the cores at the factory, and when they pass, then the stuff is good. And it's even a lot more complex than that. You don't test every single one. State of California has these compliance programs where third-party labs are responsible for verifying that the manufacturers in China can do this. The manufacturers verify that they are doing this for these specific products. They're labeled properly. Lumber liquidators, in turn, once that stuff gets to the U.S., would test it as you would in your house. In other words, they would take pieces of this whole stuff and put it in these sniffing chambers and test it that way. So in other words, you're not peeling the stuff apart to see, hey, what's inside. You're looking at it as it's actually used. And if that sounds like a, a cheat, it's not. I mean, consider your automobile. There are at least half a dozen fluids near you in your car, including the gasoline, that will absolutely kill you. The exhaust will kill you in a few minutes flat if you don't use it properly. And yet we all get in cars every day with poisonous brake fluid near us, with you know combustible poisonous gasoline, with toxic vapors coming out of them. It's not, the point isn't, is there something toxic hidden in here? The point is, does it get to you in normal use? And it's pretty clear to me that the lumber liquidator's flooring is safe this way. Now, could they still be lying? Could there still be some problems? Of course, there's always a chance of that. But every bit of evidence I've seen suggests that 60 Minutes got it wrong. Whitney Tilson got it wrong. The other short hedge funds who are screaming about this got it completely wrong. Yeah, I remember talking with a couple of members at Fool Fest. Uh, I guess that was maybe six weeks ago, um, and I guess I guess that that was probably like right in the wake of the of this report on sixty minutes. And a couple of them were were saying they thought it was going to blow. And this is, by the way, this is like right in the wake of it. So they they didn't go into nearly the detail you did. But one of the things they talked about was just sort of, well, how do most people interact with a company like, put lumber liquidators aside, how do most people interact with this type of product? It's typically through a contractor. And if they can you know, maintain the relationships with their contractors, they're going to be fine. There's also the well, lumber you know, liquidators is, is a little different because they're more direct sales to people who are doing a room. And But, but still, yeah, I mean... There's people that, go although, to lumber liquidators to find cheap flooring. Now, they don't want to be poisoned. Right. So when people tell you, oh, my God, this flooring is killing you, and the mass media just repeat it, which they did over and over again, you've got a, you've got a perception problem. But in the end, I think price will win out. Uh, and by the way, was it the Consumer Product Safety Commission uh, announced that they were going to look at this flooring? But very importantly, they, they stated, we're going to look at it as you would install it in your house. Uh, and then there's not going to peel it apart and go digging around for stuff that you wouldn't actually breathe. Well, and you, the point you made about you know um, about pricing um, got an email just a couple of weeks ago from one of our regular listeners in California who worked in this uh, type of business, worked in in contracting for a long time, and and basically said, I don't think lumber liquidator. He said, I think it's been oversold. I don't think they're going to have a problem because I've spent years working with customers who are. They're looking for a good price, and you know. And to your point, yes, they could still be lying about something. The idea that reputational damage is lasting—that's something that we're not going to know until 
more time goes by. And it would be a really stupid lie because they would have tripled and quadrupled down on it mm-hmm. when they had you know incredible scrutiny. And by the way, we've, we still need to say this is a, a small portion, like 8% or something of their sales. They've been trying to move people more to the regular flooring, which gives them better margins anyway. And personally, I hate laminate flooring. I don't care where it's made. It's terrible. <laughs> you use it in your kitchen, eventually water gets underneath. It's bad. You give me vinyl plank or tile there and everywhere else hardwood. Let's just forget laminate altogether. Um, let's move to uh, a very different type of business, but one that is absolutely in your universe. Uh, and it's a company we, we don't talk about all that often, uh, and that's Winnebago Industries. Oh, yeah. um, uh, this just is a sad week for them. Or sad. Their report came out. It wasn't great. The stock dropped. Yeah, the stocks trailed the market about thirty percent over the last year. But this, is, but again, this is you know this is I think part of how you invest is looking at well, wait a minute, what what is is this being oversold for a reason, or is this just uh, you know because it, I, yeah. you made the point recently in in one of your reports that you know the the relative health of the RV industry is is pretty good. It's pretty good, and uh, the demographics of the RV industry are a little bit different than. Than even I assumed when I got into it. It's not just geezers with money, although it is also geezers <laughs> with money. It's younger folks with money. And uh, so you would think that lower gasoline prices would help out. Uh, part of Winnebago, there's a few moving parts at Winnebago uh, right now that are kind of uh, holding back results, and, and the stock responded to that. Some of them being that wages are on the rise around Forest City, which is their uh, main manufacturing area. I, I slept on the grounds at Forest City once during Ragbri. <laughs> we tented out there. They, they had spare space, and they let us uh, vagabond bicyclists put our tents up there. And um, wait, what was this for? Ragbri, you ride your bike across Iowa with ten thousand other people. Oh, I've it's heard of awesome. this. Awesome, yeah. Yes. And you go to these towns; they don't have room for people, so you're set up in various places, these tent cities. And Winnebago has has overflow space near their plant, and so we ended up. My wife and I ended up sleeping at the, uh, the Winnebago plant. But um, <laughs> this was years ago. But so. Uh, yeah, it's hard to say. Winnebago sales were, were kind of eh, but you know the selling season is coming up. They got a, a couple of good awards on this really nifty retro uh, Winnebago line called the Brave, um, which kind of looks like the iconic sort of 60s, uh, early 70s Winnebago. And they're doing some good things. Um, we've had them around since they were, you know, 11, 12 bucks a share is when I started getting interested in them. Good balance sheet, you know, a very good, strong brand name. Uh, so I think they're gonna I think they're gonna do better in the future. But I, even I was a little bit underwhelmed by the uh, the recent sales. So uh, before we wrap up, uh, something that has nothing to do with investing, but is something absolutely in your skill set, and that is photography. You're in, in a former life. You were I was a, a professional fo- photographer. Yeah. So for anyone like me who's terrible at taking photos, one tip for the average person: you go on vacation. What's Oof. what's one tip? to take better photographs. Wow, you got to learn to see. Stop uh, stop pointing the camera at yourself. <laughs> selfie stick? Your anti-selfie. Throw it out. Well, yeah, that's just that's just garbage photography. <laughs> if you if if your pictures are nothing but you smiling at the camera, believe me, everybody is bored. People put the thumb up on Facebook only because they don't want you to think that they hate you and that's the only reason. If all your pictures are people standing there smiling at the camera, you're failing. If you actually look at like your grandfather's pictures, you'll see a few of these, but I, it's one of these things that has tech, I noticed this early on in my career as a photographer, as the technology made photography easier, the quality of pictures seemed to go downhill. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So 
yeah, if you're pointing the camera at yourself most of the time, that's your number one problem. What about? Aren't there things you can do in terms of perspective? Because I I find that I don't do this often, but if I'm on a trip and there's some sort of iconic landmark or statue or something like that, I go to take a picture, and then when I look at it later, I realize that's uh, I framed it wrong. Well, yeah, but that's all about seeing what's in the camera, not seeing what's in your brain, and that's the hardest thing to learn. That's why you know there are there are programs for art photography for photojournalism because what people think they're photographing is never the th- or it's rarely the thing that they actually get in the photograph. The th- so uh, that's really there's a there's a fundamental disconnect, and you can't even you can't even get people to explain it if they look at it. I'll put it this way. The guy you see with the mullet and the muscle shirt, and you're, you wonder to yourself, what does he see in the mirror? He sees what he saw when he was 17, and that was the end haircut, and he was buff. And he doesn't see what he's looking like now, but that's how most people's photographs are. They don't see what's in the photograph. They see what's in their mind that they're trying to remember. I think I'm just going to leave it to the professionals. Well, in that sense, the photograph still works. It's just that nobody else is going to get that from the photograph. Hidden Gems is our small cap service. Seth Jason, one of the co-advisors, along with Andy Cross, our chief and investment officer. And if you want to kick the tires on the Hidden Gems service, go to smallcap.fool.com. That's smallcap, all one word, smallcap.fool.com. Get a free trial of Motley Fool Hidden Gems and uh, and get your small cap on. Thank you for being here, my friend. You're welcome. You had a bowl of soup with it, too, right? (laughs) Free bowl of Absolutely. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.